Welcome to the Control-Alt-Azure podcast. I'm Yusip. And I'm Tobias. Join us for a journey in the cloud. Hello and welcome back again to another episode of Control-Alt-Azure. My name is Tobias and I'm back with Yusi. What's up? Hey, Tobias. All good here. Uh, top of mind for me, I've been upgrading my home office. And as one of the main upgrades that I've been sort of putting off for a couple of years has been the backbone network. It's been one gigabit speeds and I wanted to go to 10 gig now. So I've been tinkering with settings like jumbo frames and MTU values, default gateways. And I sort of got it working nicely, but now I'm a bit unsure because uh, on one of my speed tests, I'm getting about 370 megs, megabytes, not megabits, uh, between two devices. And obviously that's, that's better than on a one gig network, but it's not like the full realization of the 10 gig one. So now I'm unsure if I need to switch my cables from UTP to STP or not. So that's probably something I'll work on this weekend, but top of mind really, Going to 10 gig speeds, just enjoying the speed. How about for you? <laughs> I can't say I have been doing any upgrades to my home office because I'm packing everything down into boxes and we're moving next weekend. Um, what I can say though is while packing, we discover so many things we don't need. And I know I talked about this in a different episode and we're just trying to give away stuff that we don't need and kind of clean things up. But this is a difficult thing to do you know, not because there's emotional attachments or anything like that to, to most of the things. It's just this built-in kind of hoarding behavior. What if you need this thing in 10 years from now when you possibly buy a summer cabin in Finland? You know, and ridiculous reasons to keep stuff. But this is kind of now floating away and we're, you know, getting better at cleaning things up and giving it away to people who might need it better than we do. So I haven't been enjoying any super gigabit speeds or anything like that. Actually, in the in the last eight years or so, I've been only running over Wi-Fi, no cables connected uh, in my house. And I'm using the uh, Ubiquiti devices, which are pretty good. And, you know, I, I don't think I have a reason for these high speed things because I don't really have network in my house. I don't have a home network with servers and devices that need the high speed. I just have a connection to the internet and then I live in the clouds. So my, my 250 megabit line to the house and then Wi-Fi, that's enough for me. So, so while you're packing things and giving things away, if you happen to find any 10 gig ethernet, ethernet cables, I'm happy to take any. Yeah. I, I did found some Cat5, which is from um, like 1999 or so. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to Cat7 now, but I did read that you have Cat 8.1, which is super amazing, but it's also super expensive. <laughs> so Wi-Fi. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that too. But the, the problem with Wi-Fi for me is that if I'm streaming a 4K movie within my local network, so not from a streaming service, the Wi-Fi, it sort of works, but when you apply subtitles on top of that, it starts buffering and, and the kids are yelling at me and everything goes down the drain so i figured okay, I, I get it you're getting new devices because of the kids yes that's gotcha <laughs> yes Alrighty. so today's episode is end-to-end -end testing with playwright on azure and i do realize this is awfully specific 
So how we are planning on doing this is we'll talk a bit about testing first and, and then we move on to the tooling and from there to Playwright and from there actually what you can do with Playwright and how do you actually deploy that to Azure. So testing. Toby, do you test things at all or do you just right-click publish and it just works? You know, the, the old saying, I don't usually test, but when I test, I test in production. Uh, yeah, I'm not doing that. We're, we're doing a lot of tests and, you know, you have unit tests, you have the, the more granular code-based unit test, and then you have uh, coded integration tests. And then we also do end-to-end -end tests like this that you're going to talk about with Playwright, except we don't use Playwright. We use something called Selenium, which is also a kind of a browser-based testing tool that you can automate so we use C Sharp to automate everything and say that, you know, you should open this website, you should authenticate like this, you should sign in here, you should click these five buttons, this is the expected results. And then we have a couple of hundreds or even thousand of those tests running every night. So whenever we build something in our applications, first we run all the unit tests, then we run code quality assurance to ensure that we we're not actually getting worse in the code quality. We can then run code security assessments and do vulnerability scans on the code base, then we can deploy it to the QA environment. And from there, we can then run the Selenium or automated UI tests to ensure that while all the code looks good on the code side, the actual delivered product also looks as our expectations are, and we can get a green flag on that end to end. So yeah, we do, we do do testing. And um, yeah, I, I would say there's no way around doing these kind of tests if you're delivering something that a lot of consumers or a lot of businesses are making use of. I do know for a lot of you know, in-house projects, uh, projects that we have and projects I've had at all companies I've worked with don't have testing because a lot of time it's proof of concept. You make a small pilot, something is up and running and you try it out and then it accidentally turns into something that is running in production for two years. And at that point, it's, you know, reality is that usually these things are not tested because it was not a, it was not a, a project designed for running in production, but that happens a lot in reality. Uh, if you look in the playbook, how things should go, of course, you build your tests along with the product and everything is fine as soon as you go into production. But a lot of the time you, you accidentally end up in production for these small kind of proof of, proof of concepts. For everything we build as a product though, it is tested from start to finish. Exactly. And the thinking with testing, and I'm thinking now back 10, 15 years ago, we had Load Runner, and I think Microsoft had something called Homer. It was sort of this load testing tool at the time. You would install a local application and it would utilize your, your laptops to actually test on something. And we did all sorts of trickery to, to get it to scale. And now in Azure, of course, we have uh, application insights and that has availability tests. So, so there's a button for you to ping a service, let's say a website, please ping it from West Europe and, and US West, for example. And if it fails, if it cannot find a string on the web page, then do something, execute a PowerShell script or a logic app, for example. And I've often utilized app insights for this as well because it's so handy, you just click it through and, and then you can let it run. And if something fails, you'll, you'll, you'll get an event you can react to. So this then got me into thinking because I've had a couple of discussions with, with a few new clients on 
they already have something running. Perhaps it's something in the cloud. It could be AWS, Azure, something else. They have a website running and they might go, we'd like to monitor the website. And it's a long discussion to go, well, let's go with App Insights, integrate the SDK in there, start getting the different uh, telemetry information. And they go, well, we don't have budget for that. Isn't there just something you can plug in and test or monitor and give us a nice looking whatever result? So uh, a couple of years ago, I used uh, Visual Studio's own load and availability test tools. So they're part of Visual Studio 2019 as well. And you could create tests and, and you could do this multi-step web test. It's a web test file. And once you create this test file, you can then um, provide it for App Insights. And beyond just pinging a service, you can actually execute this multiple step web test against your service. And it goes through everything. So I figured perhaps this is still the modern way of doing this, but I found out that it's it's deprecated now. Yep. And it, 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 it's perhaps crucial to, to state here that deprecated uh, in this instance means it's being phased out. It's still there. Don't expect anything to happen with that. It might not work that well. Have you used any, any of the Visual Studio load or availability test features lately? I wouldn't say lately. I think it's about two years ago or so. I used the uh, Visual Studio load testing and performance testing tools, and they were pretty good. But I, I did read the article when they deprecated it or announced deprecation, saying that there was not enough traction. People were using more third-party load testing tools that were better designed for the purpose. So I understand the deprecation and, and then moving away from maintaining that. Uh, but we did use it, and it integrated well into Azure DevOps um, you know, and, and the different tools. And at some point, I also used something called Team City, which is a different CI CD pipeline, also integrated well. I could get all the results of my performance tests and my load tests, and I could run this automatically. And, and the cool thing there, much like how I use Selenium today, is you could go into Visual Studio and say, hey, record a new test. It opens the browser, and you click here, you enter something, you do this, you click a button, you click close, and then kind of tell the test, okay, I'm finished recording. Then you can add a few lines of code saying, on this page, I expect that this element is here. The logo should be displayed, should be 32 pixels, whatever, as, as your test. And then you could, with the load testing capability, which is what I really liked, you could just turn up the numbers and say, now simulate the same sequence, do the same things, but as 20 users at the same time, or 200 users at the same time. So I did do that. Unfortunately, running that from a single laptop also is, is not giving you the perhaps adequate results because everything is coming from one IP address if you're targeting a, a live system. But that's where the cloud-based, the Azure-based load testing came into the picture where you could say, you know what, run these tests, uh, hit my website with these tests as 200 users. And then it would spin up different workers coming from different different angles from different IP addresses to your website to, to test it out. And then you could get a better feel for what it can actually handle. So I did use it but it's a long time ago. Now we rely on things like JMeter uh, and Selenium for automated UI tests. I did use the Azure DevOps-based load testing a couple of times as well, and I really liked it. Perhaps the challenge in there is that once you run your load testing, and uh, let's say you go with 100 virtual uh, users or agents pushing to, to your service, you get a lot of data and you can analyze that in Excel, but it's not too exciting to get a huge Excel file with a lot of data. 
and then figure out what failed where. Uh, so for my needs, I didn't really need load testing. I more or less needed monitoring or testing that does this single button work. If I go here, 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 click on this button, will it provide me with a list of data from a database? And if that doesn't work, I want to know about this, if something failed in the backend. And again, obviously with Azure Monitor application insights, I could build these sort of tests uh, and monitoring capabilities, but that's often a, a fairly time-consuming way of doing it, especially if you have a distributed team among multiple vendors building a single service. So what I did is I had a look what Microsoft recommends officially. And what they do now, they of course say, please do not use the web test tooling anymore in Visual Studio, it's deprecated. But they do recommend load testing in Azure DevOps, but they also mention Apache JMeter. But to me, that often feels like, well, I still need something to do the, the clickable testing, if you will. And there's an open source tool called Puppeteer, and that runs a headless Chrome to a Node.js library, essentially giving you an API to control a headless browser to say, go to this page and do this, this, and this. And I was about to start testing with this, but then I found that Microsoft actually did a fork of Puppeteer, and they call their fork Playwright, and it supports Chromium, so meaning the new Microsoft Edge as well, Firefox, and WebKit. And that runs a headless browser for you and allows you to uh, give instructions to the browser to, uh, through JavaScript. So uh, to get started here, and, and these are sort of my notes on, on, on how I learned the basics on Playwright and, and how I figured it, it would be helpful. So you, you'll need NPM, the Node Package Manager, uh, to install Playwright, or you can go to GitHub and, and, and fork it from there. And to install, you do NPM I Playwright, that's it. And I'm sort of starting to use Visual Studio Code now more whenever I need to deal with client side. But usually I go to Visual Studio 2019 because that's, that's the thing I've been using for 20 years now. Um, and in VS Code, all you have to do is say, uh, instantiate a browser, you select which one, open a new page, go to an address, do blah, 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 perhaps take a screenshot and close the browser. And I had a look at the documentation, it's fairly clear, but again, you sort of feel that how much do I need to learn just to get this small thing done? And how do I do authentication? And how do I manage pop-ups? All of that is documented, but as I knew, this is, <clears throat> this is not going to be my full-time job. This is just something on, I do on the side. I found there's also an additional tool as part of the Playwright stack called Playwright CLI. And this allows you to record your actions to generate those scripts. And I, I have to admit with, with, a, with a hand on my heart that you use something called NPX on this. And I, I hadn't used NPX before. Have you used that? I, I can't say that I recall that, no. So somebody probably in the audience go, guys, you should know NPX, but no, <laughs> I didn't know NPX. I did know NPM. So what you do is you install Playwright-CLI with NPM again, and then you run this command, NPX Playwright-CLI codegen, address or the URL. So I did NPX Playwright CLI code gen 
www.microsoft.com. And it opens a browser. It's sort of simulated one, but looks like Edge. And you just keep on clicking things. And in the terminal, you see these commands being generated for you, which are JavaScript commands. And then you can pick this up and do whatever you like. And I was yeah. I was blown away how how fluent this was. It, it, it was. I I would do npx, run the code generator, click through the website, do authentication, and it would just work. Yeah, it sounds a lot like what we do with Selenium as well. When we do recorded tests, you can start the Selenium browser recorder, click through things, and then you get a, a script log saying this is what we did. You can modify them. You can change the input and output, um, and like you say, if you have a if you have a password or something that you enter and you don't want that to be like in the source code of, of the automated test, you can remove that and, and use a variable that you inject whatever way you want, which we do as well. So it's I I take it that this is a similar concept, but now from Microsoft, while Selenium is not from Microsoft. Um, and I took a, a look at the GitHub repos, and I think Selenium had about seventeen thousand stars or so and this one had about ten thousand, so they're catching up real quick it's going to be interesting to see where this goes i've never used it but what you tell me now it's interesting enough to actually start taking a look at not sure if we can just plug and play replace what we have with selenium but it's at least interesting enough to take a look at and the fact that it's supported by microsoft or, or created by microsoft i don't know if it's supported or what supportability they have, or what promises they have of supporting the future. But this is, of course, something to take a look at. I, I feel it's endorsed by Microsoft and it's maintained by people employed by Microsoft. But as you said, supported often in the enterprise world would mean, well, we need this and this sort of contracts in place. But, but here I feel there's a really nice velocity with the team in, in building this. The documentation is super neat. And, and the tool really works. So what I did next then, I had my rudimentary script that I was able to generate. And I now knew that using Playwright, I could go to this customer's website, click on sign in or sign up, create a new account, get views that require authentication, then click around, perform a search. And I could then pinpoint to a single CSS element on a page, like this specific div, I want to get the value of that and it needs to be X. If it's not, then it failed. Uh, and what I sort of foolishly thought was that I have Playwright, I've got this NPM based package, that all I have to do now is to create a custom Azure function in VS Code, create a simple uh, HTTP triggered function, and make that JavaScript-based, require the Playwright package in there, and then just fire away. And I would do this, and I would run the function from the command line with func start, and it failed. When it tries to build it, it always fails with super fuzzy error messages. And it took me a couple of tries to figure out what's, what's going on in there. And the problem is that with Azure Functions, when you try to get Playwright, you also need uh, the actual browser binaries, meaning the Chromium binaries that I was using. And Azure Function is not playing well with that idea because Functions, of course, is headless. And even if I'm getting the headless browser, it sort of failed in just getting the binaries from the package. Because it goes, well, you're headless, you're going to use this. So a long story short, 
I had a couple of more cups of coffee. And then I realized that what I can do is I can create an Azure function that actually spins up a Docker container. And the Docker container simply installs Playwright and runs my JavaScript. And even if there's a lot of technology in here, I was a bit worried that, well, how complex is this going to be? I'm amazed how fast and fluid it is because when the function is being called, it spins up the container, it executes the JavaScript. And I just added that I'm going to get HTTP 200 if everything went well. If something fails, just spit out the whole error so that I can debug further. And it, it just works. And I, I think, as you mentioned with Selenium, that you would you could do the exactly the same thing here, even though I, I've never used Selenium. Uh, but I feel that whatever you need to do with this, adding this additional layer of, of using a Docker container actually gives you a lot more flexibility while still maintaining the sort of lightweight approach you get with Azure Functions. Okay. I've I've never thought about plugging that into a container. It might be an option, of course, depending on how that tool works. What I like about Selenium is you can produce Visual Studio test result files when you run them. So you can run them uh, like the Selenium tests are run and executed as any unit test. And you can create a results file. That means inside of Azure DevOps or TeamCity or whatever tool you use, you actually see the failing tests as a failed test in the browser in Azure DevOps. And you, you can see that test number five, go to the, to the site and sign in and do this failed, here's why. And it automatically takes a screenshot or a video and all these kind of things you can plug in. Maybe there's capabilities here for that as well. But to me, the in order for supporting the, the workflow, getting this integrated into whatever testing tool we have, like the Azure DevOps running the Visual Studio test and getting the test results displayed, super crucial. Then we only get alerts when the build fails or when that step of the build fails and it will tell us test number five failed on this thing and here's a screenshot and here's a full video uh, click through if you want to see it in action which is pretty cool took some time to set that up as well but when it's there we can just build new tests 100 more tests whatever and we can see every time something fails we don't have to go back and try and reproduce it we can see exactly what happened rerun the same test if it fails again we know exactly when it happened, where it happens and how to fix it, which is pretty cool. So I think this is something you can build then with Playwright as well, because you have the, the option to do whatever you want with it. Yeah, sounds, sounds to me like that. And Selenium sounds to me like it's, it's, it's more advanced in that sense. And Playwright is a bit more bare bones. And keeping in mind that I had the sort of wish list from customer that we'd like to test this, this and this, and then it would be ideal to perhaps have a Power BI dashboard to show that, okay, everything is green. And if something fails, let's put it red. I haven't still built that one, but I figured that I can now execute this Azure function quite easily, perhaps through a logic app to have it call it once per hour. And if it fails, stream that error directly to Power BI dataset. And then it would be dynamically shown and updated if, if you have a TV, for example. So I, I feel it's fun that, that you can connect so many technologies and Playwright to me was something I've never used before. And I was surprised how easy it, it, it was, even though you actually need to put some code in, but it was still easy to get started with this because there's not a lot of skeleton code you have to learn first. 
you, you, you just say, I require this and let's get to it. And that's that. Very cool. So to sort of summarize everything here, Visual Studio 2019 um, load and availability, availability tests are, are deprecated now. So you have to choose something else. And Toby, you've been using Selenium, and that seems to integrate really nicely with the existing stack. I started using Playwright, but I will put some time aside as well to test Selenium myself, to sort of see the differences between these two. And of course, Puppeteer, I understand, still exists and is doing well. So that's an option as well. And then I also found out about the browserless.io. But that requires a subscription, so you have actually have to pay for that. But that's perhaps a bit more polished uh, approach and service to utilize for something like this. On the show notes, we'll add links to all of the tools here. And I also found on Microsoft Docs um, a walkthrough on creating a custom Azure function on a Linux host using a custom container. So that, in essence, is how you build this and inject Playwright in there. Sounds good. I will go good check stuff. it out. Good. Thank you again for tuning in and until next time. See you then. Thank you for tuning in to the Control-Alt Azure podcast. Find out more and read the show notes on controlaltazure.com. Stay tuned. Thank you.